Good morning. My name is Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here at CIV, and we're on week four of six in our No Other Gods message series. This series is identifying the gods that you can find in our culture that are calling us to worship them and to praise them. We get pulled to worship ourselves. The God of selfie is what we've called that. We have also seen how the government pulls us to worship it. We've called that the beast. There's false prophets and priests and kings, and they rise up to try to lead us and pull us away from worshiping the one true God. Today we're looking at the new orthodoxy. Now, orthodoxy is not a word that we use that often. At least it's a word that I don't use that often. I might say unorthodox here and there, but orthodoxy, not so much. Orthodoxy is defined as authorized or generally accepted theory, doctrine, or practice. There's orthodoxies for many areas of life. For example, when I was in the first grade, there was an orthodoxy, there was an orthodox approach to how to teach kids how to read. But when I got into first grade, they changed that. They changed the approach. And the result that I had and many in my class had from their change in the approach to how to teach people to read is I couldn't read until the second grade when they went back to the old system, when they went back to the orthodox approach. Orthodoxy, it sets the guidelines for education, work, sports, government, but orthodoxy, it changes over time in those areas. The educational approach to uh, teaching me how to read in the first grade, it changed, and it was a disaster because <laughs> it didn't work. I didn't learn how to read. What is seen in orthodox drives behaviors. A major question that orthodoxy answers is, what is the way? This is the question at the heart of most things that we do in life. What is the way that I should work? What is the way that I should relate to people? What is the way that I should manage uh, the money I have? What is the way fill in the blank? And we're in the middle of some massive shifts in the American orthodoxy. Where the answer to basic things in life are trying to be changed. For example, what is the way that people should be hired at work? 20 years ago, the answer was simple. Hire the most qualified person, regardless of their age, race, or whatever. Today, a lot of companies have set diversity quotas and are hiring underqualified people based solely on their race, gender, or other factors. What is the way we should deal with theft in society? 20 years ago, arrest them, prosecute them. Deal with, they need to feel the weight of the, and the consequences of their actions. Today, there's cities that don't and won't prosecute theft because they're establishing racial equity. Now, before we dive more into these new orthodoxies in our culture, I want to dive into Christian orthodoxy. And to do that, we are going to look at a statement that Jesus made 
while he was in conversation with his disciples, his followers. The conversation centers around Jesus talking to them about how he is going to be leaving them soon. He was preparing them for when he was about to die on the cross and no longer be with them. And he tells the disciples that they know the way to where he is going. But Thomas, who's called the doubter, the doubter disciple, but you could also call him a realist, he speaks up because he doesn't know what Jesus is talking about. He doesn't know the way to go. And look what he says in John 14, 5 and 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? It seems that Thomas was thinking that Jesus was going somewhere and they needed directions on how to get there. Now, Jesus wasn't talking to them like they needed directions to find him physically. He was talking about the way that they should walk in life. And this is one of the major questions that we all have in life. You can underline that question on the handout. How can we know the way? That is the question that people are searching for all around us. That is the question that we are searching for. We want to know the way to move forward and make decisions that will lead us to the best life possible. That is what orthodoxies are all about. The generally accepted theory and doctrine or practice, it promises to produce the results that we want in any given situation. And the Christian belief is clearly explained when Jesus answers Thomas, and it gives us the Christian orthodoxy. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a foundational truth for Christian orthodoxy. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Let's unpack that because the way, the truth, the life, each of those are packed with meaning that we need to understand what, what Jesus is saying here. There's a lot of history and future implications when Jesus says that I am the way. Before Jesus came to live on earth, the Jewish people had God's law to follow. They had priests that would uh, mediate between them and God. They had prophecy about the Messiah that was coming, and he would be the king to fulfill the law. Their relationship with God was broken by sin, because just like us, they were sinners. Everyone had chosen to go their own way apart from God's way. And the Messiah would be the one that restores their relationship with God once and for all time. So they're anticipating the coming Savior, the Messiah. And they were wondering, what is the way to a restored relationship with God when the Messiah comes? And Jesus is declaring, he is the way to the Father. So when the psalmist, before Jesus was born, says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus is that path to life. 
He's saying to his disciples, you've lived with me. You watched me. I've taught you the way to life in the kingdom of God. Keep living that way. That's the way to the Father. That's the way to the fullness of joy. That is the way that you should go. And Ephesians 2.18 further explains what happens when someone puts their faith that Jesus is the way. It says, for through him, that is Christ it's talking about there, through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through Jesus Christ, we have access to the Father. We can go before him for wisdom to how to handle complex situations in life. We can pray and petition him for things that are going on in our life. We can approach God with confidence that we have a right relationship with him if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Jesus also says he is the truth. Jesus lived a perfect life. His life is the truth. John 1.14 describes Jesus as the truth. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the word becoming flesh. Jesus is the living example, the personification of God's word. His example and teachings, along with the rest of the Bible, are the truth for Christians to follow. This answers the question, what is the way we should live? Christ followers should live by the truth, God's word. That is the filter for life. For Christ followers, all of the orthodoxies and what people say are the best practices and doctrines. All of it needs to filter through God's word for the Christ follower. Does what they're saying to do line up with the truth? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is also the life. Jesus gives life here on earth and he is the way to eternal life. John 11, 25 and 26 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? What is the way to eternal life? Jesus is the way. And I want to be very clear about this orthodoxy, about the way to the Father. No one goes to the Father except through Jesus. Romans six twenty three. that verse and an illustration can give us a really good picture of what this looks like, what it looks like to go to the Father through Christ. There's space on the handout for you to draw this illustration as it shows up on the screen as well. If you haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life yet, then this is going to give you a clear picture of what that looks like and how to do that. If you've made Jesus your Lord, this gives you an opportunity to 
be reminded of what God has done for you and practice how you could share the gospel that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life with a friend or family member. So let's take a look here. Here, what we see on the screen is a chasm. And we are on one side and God is on the other. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's going on here? We're separated from God. That's what this is showing. And what does this word wages mean? How do you get wages? Well, you, you earn wages by doing work. You perform tasks and earn pay from a workplace. And the tasks that we have performed, that Romans 6.23 is telling us that we've performed, is sin. Sin's actually an archery term, and that can be helpful for understanding what's going on here, what it's talking about. In archery, if you miss the center of the bullseye, then that's called sin. So if you miss the exact mark that you're aiming for, it's sin. That helps us to understand what sin is here. Sin is missing the mark that God has given us. God tells us to be truthful and to not lie, and then we lie. We miss the mark that God has given us. And that separates us from God. God is holy. He is perfect. Sin separates us from him. And we're all equal in this sin department. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We try to make up our separation from sin. We try to jump over that chasm by being a good person, doing charity work, or whatever it might be. But each of those things, we fall short of the glory of God. And the wages that we have earned from sin earns us death. Again, we, we're all equal on this. We all deserve death and eternal separation from God because we've all chosen to reject him. But God didn't leave us there. God doesn't leave us on our own to die separated from him in our guilt and our shame from the sins of our, our life. No. He doesn't leave us there. There's a free gift. Remember, we can't bridge that gap on our own. We can't earn our way to a right relationship with God. God had to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And it was to give us this free gift of eternal life. This is a life spent with him in eternity. And this gift comes through Jesus, through Christ Jesus. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live. He did not sin, and he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And when someone makes Jesus their Lord, repenting from their sins, accepting Jesus as a sacrifice for their sins, only then can they cross the chasm created by their sin and have a restored relationship with God. When we make Jesus our Lord, when we say, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. When we do that, it takes trust. We put our full faith, we put our full weight, we put our full trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we say, I'm not going to be going my own way anymore, Lord. I'm going to be following you and go, doing life your way.
If you haven't done this before, I invite you to do this today. Make Jesus your Lord and Savior. He will help you know the way to go, the perfect way to go. You won't be perfect because none of us are perfect, but his way is perfect. And when you commit your life to Christ, you follow him and you start to experience the fullness of joy that comes from a restored relationship with God. You can do this. You can make Jesus Christ your Lord by praying the ABCs to God. It can be something like this. God, I admit that I am a sinner and I repent from my sin to turn to live life your way. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you for sending him to live the perfect life that I couldn't live. And I commit to follow you as my Lord. You are the boss. I will follow you and do life your way. Amen. If you're ready to make Jesus your Lord, pray that now. Ask Jesus to come into your life. And, and commit to do life his way. God is offering this free gift of eternal life to everyone. If you haven't accepted it before, you don't have to do life on your own. Wallowing in guilt and shame from the weight of your sins, God will forgive you, turn to him, and embrace him. Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. There, there is no way to the Father except through him. When, Jesus, when Christ Jesus is our Lord, the orthodox way of life is found in God's word. It's found in the truth. This is where we find the fullness of joy that God talks about. This is where we find help in times of trouble, and God's word becomes the filter for determining Christ followers' way of life. So when new orthodoxies start to emerge in our culture, our culture is going to be blessed if those are in line with the Bible. There's going to be chaos if it doesn't line up with the Bible. So what is the way that the culture is telling us to go right now? What is the new orthodoxy? Well, one of the new orthodoxies is diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm sure if I ask people to raise their hands or... Tell us on the connection card, you know, how how I asked you, how many of you have been through diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI training through your work? It would be so many people who are going through that. The difficult thing with this orthodoxy is that it sounds like a good thing. If we were to look at the traditional definitions of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I don't think any of us would have a problem with that. These are good words. They're good things that can really bless a workplace or an environment that we're in. But this new orthodoxy has taken these words and it's co-opted them to mean something different. And it's it's not a very helpful thing. This co-opting of words, it's a strategy that happens, that people do. So you, you, we have to be careful to see, are, are we meaning the same thing when we say diversity? Well, I want to go through the definitions of this so we can compare it to the Bible's orthodoxy on these words and see what's the right way to go. 
McKinsey and Company is a management consulting firm, and so I, I have used some of their de- definitions um, and some real-life examples to help us to really see what is going on with this DEI stuff. Well, diversity is who is represented in the workforce. The filter that diversity gives people is to put everybody in the workforce through the filter of gender, age, ethnicity, physical ability, sexual orientation, anything that could potentially cause someone to be discriminated now comes into play with hiring practices. And so companies, what they have done to practically put this into place is they've started creating diversity quotas for employees like we looked at earlier. Best Buy has an employee resource group that's open to everyone except for white men. So the new orthodoxy of diversity, it practically turns into favoritism. It turns into partiality. I'll hire you or put you on a group solely based on your race, age, gender, sexual orientation, because I've got to get the quota just right for our company or for our group. It's, it's given companies the moral high ground to discriminate against people. I had a friend a while back who was stuck waiting because his company was denying him to be on a new team because the team wasn't diverse enough. And so if he got on there, it would throw it off even more. This is what happens when we focus on things that people can't control, like race and age, your gender. And this turns into chaos because diversity, equity, inclusion, they all work together. And then equity says, it says it refers to um, fair treatment for all people, but really what it turns out to be is while is this. While equality assumes that all people should be treated the same, equity takes into consideration a person's unique circumstances, adjusting treatment accordingly so that the end result is equal. So equity doesn't mean treating people equally. What what it turns into is you have to look at all these people out there and decide what unique circumstances they have. And then you have to adjust how you treat them based on their unique circumstances. And then you have to do that for somebody else. And, And you have to find out who has more unique circumstances and should get more privilege and and who has less. And it's an impossible thing to do. No one has insight into everybody's unique circumstances. And you can't tell by somebody's outward appearance or what they're they're presenting to you and what they've been through in life. Practically, it just turns into unjust weights and measures. And remember the theft that we talked about, that we're, we're not prosecuting anymore for some sort of equity reason. Well, companies are starting to feel the pain from that. Dick's Sporting Goods had a 23% drop in their net income in the second quarter, and they're blaming theft. They're just stuff's getting stolen. People aren't getting caught, or they are getting caught, and they get let go without any consequences. And you know what's going to happen with that? It's already happened. They're going to raise their prices to cover those losses. And the price of things are just going to go up and up and up. And the people who steal get the benefit of free stuff 
and everybody else pays for it. Equity says that's okay. You don't work and you steal, you can that's fine. But if you do work and you are paying for things, you're doing things the right way, you're going to pay for the, the other people's stuff. Inclusion plays into this as well. Inclusion says it refers to how the workforce experiences the workplace and the degree to which organizations embrace all employees and enable them to make meaningful contributions. Organizations must embrace all employees and enable them to make meaningful contributions. 10 to 20 years ago, it was the employee's job to embrace their place of work and they need to make a contribution. If they didn't, then they're going to need to look for work elsewhere. I sound like an old man saying that. But that's not the case now. They're saying organizations need to embrace all their employees and help them to make a contribution to the work. Practically, this just turns into chaos. As everyone can do whatever they want, and we have to embrace and accommodate them in the workplace. What all of these things do is they create a hostile workplace. It creates a hostile culture to be in. They promote disunity. As one group of people is going to feel like they deserve things more than another group of people and well-qualified individuals aren't going to get a job just because of their gender or their their race, it's just hard to believe that our culture has gotten to a point where discrimination is openly celebrated. So how can we evaluate this new orthodoxy? What what do we do with it? Well, Christ followers, we filter everything through the Bible. And here's the biblical orthodoxy for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity Yes. God's kingdom is one of diversity that promotes unity. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's kingdom is for everyone that accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord. And God's kingdom promotes unity. Romans 12:16 Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. God's kingdom is one of unity. These policies that are promoting disunity and and partiality, that is not right. God wants us to have unity in our church. He wants us to influence our culture to have unity. We don't look down on anybody because they're a different race than us or they don't have as much as money as us or they have more money than us so we're going to look down on them we we don't do that our job is to be unified in our relationship with Christ and our mission is to advance God's kingdom 
This means that favoritism is out of bounds for Christians. Deuteronomy 10.17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. God is not partial. He takes no bribe. His followers are to do the same. They do not play favorites with people. Now, the word equity is found in the Bible, but it's paired with the idea of justice. And the biblical definition is something like this. Equity, yes, equity is good when it's the right equity, the right definition, the biblical definition. God will judge with equity. He calls the kings in the Old Testament to judge with equity. Biblical equity gives grace while using equal equal weights and measures for all people. Unjust weights and measures are a no in God's kingdom. The equity in our culture, it gives preferences to people based on things that they can't control. Or actually, people are being incentivized now in our culture to change things like their sexual orientation. Because now, if they do that, they're going to get more opportunities in relation to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And here is how God feels about unjust weights and measures, especially if they're being used to to lead people away from God and his ways. Proverbs 20.10 says, Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. People should treat, they, they should be treated equally. It's not our job to adjust the scales for people based on things that they didn't have control of or we don't have control of. We need to treat them rightly. God calls us to bear with each other when we have burdens, but he also calls us to take care of our responsibilities. It's both. It's our job to treat people equally. Inclusion. Again, yes, all people are invited to repent from their sins and have a restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is to make disciples of all nations. People will say that God's kingdom is not inclusive. They say this because those that enter God's kingdom, they have to repent of their sin and choose to do life God's way. But that's an offer to all people. Everyone is included in God's kingdom if they repent. We've all had to repent from our sins and say, I'm not going my own way, I'm going your way, God. We're all on the same page. Sinners saved by grace and God's grace alone. God's kingdom is not exclusive just because people don't want to change their lifestyle and do life God's way. God gives everyone the same opportunity to join his kingdom. No one is ever disqualified from choosing to make Christ the Lord of their life. This is more inclusive than the new orthodoxy, which says that there's only certain meetings or opportunities given based on your race or your gender or whatever you believe or whatever they choose to do. This also means that approval of what God calls wicked is a no. 
Proverbs 24, 24 says, Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. God wants people to experience the fullness of joy. People will not experience that if they live their life contrary to God and his ways. God loves people. And he's doing the loving thing by calling them to repent, to live life his way, because that is what's going to turn out to be best for them. So what do we do with all this information? What is the way? Well, each week we have next steps. And here are some that you might want to take that could be the way forward for you. The first is make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Make sure that you let us know on the connection card. We'd love to give you some resources to help you get started in that decision. If you've not done this yet, please do it today. Or if you have questions, set an appointment to talk with a pastor or with a friend. Talk about making this commitment. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You don't have to live your life in confusion of the way to go. Yield to Christ and start to live life his way. And that leads into the second next step, which is live my life by the Bible and not what the culture says is right. We don't need to live our lives lying to to live in line with the new orthodoxy. It's not right to discriminate against anyone. We need to give everyone the same opportunities. Do that. In your places of influence. Think about your workplaces or organizations that you're a part of. Are they trying to get you to act in a way that violates discrimination laws in our country or just your conscience as a Christian? If they are, then I want to encourage you. Talk to your group leader. Talk to a a church uh, pastor or a team leader. Ask them for advice. Wisely seek to influence your organization to do things the right way, which is God's way. I heard about a story this week of somebody at CIV who talked with Pastor Matt, and they came up with a plan for how he could respectfully um, disagree with some ways that his organization was trying to lead him to go. He stood up at a meeting, respectfully talked for about a minute and stood up for what was right, what was right before God. And he got some good feedback from that. Some people didn't agree with him. Others did. Him standing up let people know it's okay to stand for what is right. If we do that wisely, respectfully, not not causing unnecessary problems. Imagine what would happen if there was all these people from CIV and other churches deployed to influence every organization that they are a part of for Christ. Imagine how different our culture could be. Imagine the unity that could be found in our culture. The last next step you might want to take is sign up for the problem of Christianity short course. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much that 
you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We can have eternal salvation through him. Thank you, Lord, for leading me to the point where I repented of my sins and decided to to strive to live life your way. I pray, Lord, that others would do the same. I pray, Lord, that you would deploy people out to love the people around them wisely. Help them to make good choices. Help them to live the biblical definition of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That is the way forward. That is the way where we can experience the fullness of joy that comes from you. Help us, Lord, to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.